Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Warenge in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we analyse the draw for the 2022 FIFA World Cup and ask if it's going to be a better showing for Africa this time. Also, we have more from one of the biggest figures in women's football in Africa. That's South Africa's Fran Hilton-Smith on her memories and reflections of many years in women's football on the continent. For me, the dream has been seeing teams from Africa going to these competitions and specifically doing a bit better, and women being now professional players. As coming later, also we hear more from Samuel Osei Kufour, the former Ghana and Bayern Munich defender, this time on the painful loss to Manchester United in the 1999 UEFA Champions League final. But let's start with the draw for the 2022 FIFA World Cup. It starts on the 21st of November in Qatar. As usual, it won't be easy for the African teams. Senegal are in Group A with the hosts Qatar with Ecuador and the Netherlands. In Group D, we have Tunisia alongside France, Denmark and either the United Arab Emirates, Australia or Peru. Morocco are in Group F. They have Belgium, Canada and Croatia. Cameroon are in Group G. They have Brazil. Serbia and Switzerland and Ghana are in Group H with Portugal, Uruguay and South Korea. Remember at the 2018 World Cup, none of the African teams made it out of the group stage. That was Africa's worst showing ever. So are you more hopeful this time, Ida? Well, it's quite tough, Steve, because... Out of the five teams, it's pretty much Senegal, you know, who, at least on paper, seemingly have the easier of times. Though, you never know exactly how it's going to go. I mean, we've been seeing so many upsets in football, and especially during this COVID era. Um, remember not Macedonia recently knocking out Italy, the European champions, out of the World Cup qualifiers? I mean, it can really go either way. But let's look at the North Africans. Well, Tunisia playing against the defending champions, France. And that's bound to be nerve-wracking for them. No two ways about it. But this definitely shouldn't be a situation for them to either, one, rule themselves out, or secondly, even just be in awe of who they're playing. You know, they should go there with their heads held high. Morocco with a tough one against uh, formerly top-ranked team Belgium, now number two in the world. But Steve, despite that, you know, big intimidating tag, I think many can agree that the Red Devils have always been a dark horse in this tournament. You know, lots of potential that somehow, some way, has never reached its apex, you know. But Croatia, well... We'll wait to see if they are indeed past their prime after that 2018 runners-up sport or they still have something that they can give. Focusing on Cameroon, well, under the relatively inexperienced, has to be said, but also very much loved, Rigobat Song. And uh, they will face record holders Brazil. And it will be the Indomitable Lions' eighth World Cup, Steve. And the highlight from the draw, at least for me, was Ghana in the same group as arch-nemesis Uruguay. Now, 
many Africans know the gravity of this match. It's historical. It will revive lots of feelings that have been buried for a while now, despite it just being in the group stage. But I can imagine that it will be quite, quite emotional for the fans. Of course, a question on many people's minds is, will an African team finally get to the semifinals? Cameroon got to the quarters in 1990, the first African team to do so. Senegal 12 years later, and then Ghana in that painful painful 2010 campaign that we've just talked about did manage to match that but will this be the year you know when an African team can eclipse that it's fingers crossed well yes and going back to the Ghana Uruguay game that's going to be a repeat of the 2010 quarterfinal where Uruguay's Luis Suarez with a deliberate handball was to deny Ghana victory uh, that would have seen them through to the semi-finals Lots more on the World Cup in the coming weeks here on Planet Sport Football Africa. Let's go to the CAF Champions League now as we're at the quarter-final stage and six of the eight teams that made it there are North African. That's a continuing dominance there. Although South Africa's Mamelodi Sundowns were the most impressive in the group stage, they'll play Petro Atletico of Angola, Ida. Sundowns definitely the most impressive so far, Steve. Unbeaten through the group stage where they won five of their six games, of course, finished top of the group. And for some time there, Steve, put champions Al Ali's participation in serious, serious jeopardy, you know. But yes, they will be facing uh, Petro. And the last time the two teams met was actually two years ago. And that was in the group stage. Now, Sundowns won the first leg and uh, they drew the second leg that was away. It's definitely a tough one for Al-Ali. I mean, finishing as runners-up in the group behind Masandawana, well, that pretty much meant, you know, that it was always going to be a tough opponent. Raja hoping to end a 23-year-old drought in the competition. But to do that, they do have to get past Al-Ali. That is in the last eight. The tie, Steve, will be a rematch of the CAF Super Cup match. That was in December last year. The Egyptian side won that 6-5 on penalties. But look, it was a tough game, one that ended one all in regulation time. So, you know, was that maybe priming us, you know, in terms of what to expect for this one? You never know many saying that it will be a tight one. The Egyptian club, of course, chasing a third consecutive Champions League title and what would be a record-extending 11th title in the competition. Yes, but as you say, a tough quarter-final there against Raja Casablanca. Thanks, Ida. Next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, show brought to you by Passion for Sport, to the final part of our interview with one of the pioneers of women's football in Africa. That's South Africa's Fran Hilton-Smith. Fran is a former coach of the South Africa women's national team, former head of women's football and technical director at the South Africa Football Association. Uh, She's currently a CAF instructor. Now, Fran has written a book that was published recently. It's called A Song for Banyana, as in the nickname for the South Africa women's team, Banyana Banyana. We've heard how she'd been involved in the development of women's football in South Africa from the 1980s as it grew as a multiracial sport for women, despite this still being in the apartheid era. Also, we heard how she feels that lack of games for women's national teams is a factor in slowing down the development of women's football in Africa and how it affects the technical side of the game.
Now Fran has made many trips around Africa and beyond, and tells stories in her book of dramatic matches, challenging conditions, and the dirty tricks that we often see used. In this third and final part of the interview, I asked Fran Hilton Smith about some of the memories. You know, traveling in Africa even today is not easy. It's it's very difficult.、Uh, conditions, often the climate. You know, I remember. Playing matches in Nigeria and 45 degrees Celsius heat, humidity. You just you you just step out and the sweat's pouring off you. The players can hardly run. They're running to the sideline for water. It's it's just all those things. The the you know I think coming from South Africa, which often people, especially often Nigerian people, have said to me. South Africa is the Hollywood of Africa,、um, and and the countries that are surrounding us that we often go to Botswana, Swaziland, Zimbabwe, etc. are different completely than going to Nigeria or Central African Republic or Equatorial Guinea. All these countries we went to play in are extremely. Difficult and different in so many ways that it was hard for our players to adapt to that. You know, weather, climate conditions, accommodation, flights. Oh my goodness! The times the flights were cancelled and we had to sleep over at the airport and our luggage got lost. And it's just extremely difficult travelling in Africa and, and playing in Africa. For men and women, and and it still is in many ways. Do you take some satisfaction looking back at all that you have achieved, and knowing that the conditions have been arduous? Yeah, I have, and I'm specifically happy that in difficult conditions in Equatorial Guinea, in in difficult countries, we managed to qualify for the Olympics. I mean. Equatorial Guinea was、uh, the first time we met them. I was in shock because all their players looked like Brazilian, Spanish-looking people, and as it turned out, they had brought players from Spain and they who had previously played for other nations, and hence Equatorial Guinea was suspended from FIFA. But they beat us in the meantime with these these top players, but. Hot,、uh, humid, difficult. So I think、uh, we learnt and we progressed from that, and hence now Banyana is,、uh, as I said, two Olympics, a World Cup, Player of the Year, Coach of the Year, and I think we we have qualified now for Morocco. It's unfortunate that many other countries I wish could have been there, but the draw was very difficult. So big countries like Ghana are not there. A Cote d'Ivoire not there because they were all pitted against each other in the the draw. So we lucky we qualified for Morocco and hopefully can qualify for the second World Cup next year in Australia and New Zealand. Yeah, sure. You've got a whole chapter in the book called Niger,、uh, as in Nigeria, and a very dramatic story、um, where you say that the team、uh, suffered food poisoning ahead of a 2004. Olympic qualifier in Nigeria. Yeah, that's a fact. The, the facts are there for anyone to see.、Um, I had nine players in hospital on drips, including Portia Medise, 
They had terrible food poisoning. The goalkeepers, both the goalkeepers were in hospital. Um, it was really a scary situation, a damn scary situation. I'll never forget it. Um, uh, we think it was the juice in the hotel because we were the only ones who had it. But uh, we had to postpone the game three times. And it was just lucky, as I said in the book, I was working for FIFA and could phone them and say, look, we only got seven players and no goalkeepers. So we just can't play this game. And it was postponed and then again postponed. And finally, we got our players out of hospital and took the field. And, yeah, we lost 1-0. But it was, for me, a, a big achievement to, to have even played that game. But... That was football, and also I mentioned when our under-19s little girls went there, I mean, they had never been out the country, and the trip to our hotel took like eight, nine hours uh, through the jungle and the bush and no lights in the hotel, no water, no nothing. But after the game, we got out, we got on the highway, and in 45 minutes we were at the airport, so... It's all the tricks of the trade, but uh, I've been through them, and so have my players. Amazing stories. Uh, over the years, what change have you seen in attitudes towards women's football around Africa? Well, a lot more respect, I think, uh, specifically that many more women are now professional. We need far more uh, visibility of women's football, and that's something I keep trying to push for at the top levels to get every country, if they have a men's team, they must have a women's team. And a big problem is many of the women's teams and the different age groups enter the competition and as it draws closer and the federation realizes they have to pay for flights and hotel, then they withdraw the teams. It happens every single time. And it's something that should not be allowed FIFA gives money for the preparation of national teams for competitions, and it should be ensured that every country in Africa has a national team competing and a league, and a national league. It, it must be it, it just by now every country should have that. And uh, just finally, Fran, uh, what have you loved most about this journey in women's football in South Africa uh, and in Africa uh, as well? Uh, you've uh, certainly taken part in a lot of groundbreaking in women's football, huge progress, trophies and uh, lots of smiles along the way, no doubt as well. Uh, what have you loved most? Well, of course, qualifying for, for South Africa, like the Olympics, and the Kasafa winning the Kasafa tournaments. Kasafa are a major role player in, in the south of Africa. I mean, they have competitions every year uh, in the different age groups for women, which has ensured that Banyana have, have competed at higher levels. Zimbabwe, Zambia have been to the World Cup, uh, the Olympics, and it's thanks to competition. So... For me, the dream has been seeing teams from Africa going to these competitions and specifically doing a bit better and women being now professional players. I think that's got to be a major, major factor in, in my enjoyment is that I can see women now making a living out of football, whereas before they couldn't do that. It was 
seen as the worst of time, really. Well, such wisdom and so many experiences that South Africa's Fran Hilton Smith. Fran is a former coach of the South Africa women's national team, former head of women's football in South Africa, and currently a CAF instructor. Uh, Fran's book that was published recently is called A Song for Banyana. Well, this is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, former Ghana and Bayern Munich defender Sami Kufour on losing the Champions League final to Manchester United in 1999. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA. You can download our app and listen to the show anytime and access past programs in our archive. To download the app, go to the Play Store or the Apple iTunes App Store and enter Planet Sport Football Africa. And our website is planetsport.tv. Now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. It's the big one in the English Premier League this Sunday, Man City against Liverpool, and so much depending on this, Stuart. A massive game indeed, Steve, but a lot more than that. It's the start of a 12-day period which will define the seasons of Liverpool and Manchester City. At the moment, both clubs are chasing a treble of Premier League, FA Cup and UEFA Champions League. And, in Liverpool's case, that is an addition to the League Cup, which they have already won. And in that intriguing way that fixtures sometimes work out, Manchester City are at home to Liverpool in the league this weekend, while the two clubs meet in the FA Cup semi-final the following weekend at Wembley. And then, in ten days' time, both clubs go into their second leg, Champions League quarter-finals. Who will win Sunday's game? Well, City are top of the table with one-point advantage and are at home. City have won 16 of their last 19 games, with Liverpool having won their last 10 in a row. Very little to choose between the teams. The first goal could be decisive, especially as Manchester City have taken the lead in league games 23 times this season and gone on to win every time. The battle for fourth place is looking more interesting following last weekend's results. We commented on how well Arsenal were playing and then they go and lose 3-0 at Crystal Palace for whom Jordan Ayew and Wilfred Zaha scored. Palace's Senegalese manager Patrick Vieira seems to be getting the best out of his squad perhaps leaving some Gunners fans wondering if they have the wrong Arsenal legend in the manager's seat. And while Arsenal were losing, Tottenham closed the gap with a 5-1 win over Newcastle United. Tottenham, having scored 30 goals in the league in 2022, more than any other league club, and somehow just Antonio Conte seems to have organised and motivated his squad and is getting the best out of them. They look a real potential top four team now. While all games in the Premier League are difficult, when you look at the run-in, Tottenham seem to have the easier fixtures towards the end of the season than Arsenal. It was a bad week for Chelsea with two home defeats in five days. They lost in the league to Brentford. Chelsea took the lead early in the second half, only to concede four goals in 36 minutes. Christian Eriksen scored one of them and he continues to show that he can still play at the top level despite his heart problems in the European Championships. Johan Vissa from DR Congo also scored for Brentford as they moved 11 points clear of relegation and towards survival. 
Then Chelsea lost at home to Real Madrid 3-1 in the Champions League with Senegalese goalkeeper Eduard Mendy sadly gifting a goal to Madrid. At the bottom of the Premier League there was a massive game on Wednesday with Burnley beating Everton 3-2 and the Ivorian Maxwell Corney scored the winning goal. That leaves Everton just one point ahead of Burnley with nine games to play. This weekend, Everton play Manchester United, Burnley are away to Norwich. Everton look in real trouble. Going back to the Champions League quarterfinals, the star of the show in the quarterfinals was undoubtedly Karim Benzema. Remember how Real Madrid were two goals down against PSG in the last round and Benzema scored three goals in the final half hour to win the tie? Well, on Wednesday, by the 46th minute, he had scored another three goals for Real Madrid at Chelsea. So to sum up the state of play in the Champions League quarterfinals after the first leg, with Liverpool winning 3-1 away to Benfica and Real Madrid winning 3-1 at Chelsea, those two clubs look set for the semi-finals. Manchester City go to Atletico Madrid and Villarreal to Bayern Munich, each having won 1-0 at home. Those ties are wide open and incidentally, Sadio Mane scored for Liverpool while Villarreal's goal was scored by their Nigerian-born Dutch international Arno Danjuma. Finally, Steve, Barcelona women beat Real Madrid 5-2 last week in front of a staggering crowd of 91,553 in the new Camp. A great example of how women's football is growing. Yeah, thanks, Stuart. Exciting things happening in women's football. Well, now to our archive and to the second part of an amazing interview with Samuel Osei-Kufour, the former Ghana and Bayern Munich defender who won the UEFA Champions League in 2001, having suffered a heartbreaking defeat in the final to Manchester United in 1999, where Man United scored two stoppage-time goals to win 2-1. In this in-depth interview with Erasmus Kwao in Accra, Kufour talks about his faith and his football. Before we get to the Champions League final, Erasmus first asked about the fabulously talented Ghana Under-17 team, which won the 1991 FIFA Under-17 World Cup with players such as Kufour and Ni Lamptey. Kufour says his experiences at Under-17 level were a milestone in his faith as a follower of Jesus. It was me, Odate Lamte, Imanodia, Thomas Dia, Michael say We all play small games. And I promise God, if we win this, I will go to the roadside and go and give the, the people who blind, leopard, they go, go and give them money. And we lost the game. And I still did it. And that was, I think, that was the, the door open for me. Because no matter how the situation is, when you promise God, you have to fulfill your dreams. Or you fulfill your promise to, towards him. So I think that was a, a good move for me. God is God, and we have to respect him. You made it to the national team. You just mentioned some of the names, Neil Dasilante, Imanov Dia. These are people you played with you know, from, on the streets of Kumasi. Can you tell me that experience of playing for Ghana at Starlet 1991, that's uh, the 1991 FIFA and the 17 World Cup? <laughs> I think well, the, that generation put a smile on the, so many people's face in this country, so far as football is concerned. And then... We won the World Cup through the faith that we have in us and the faith that we have in him. Because every night we, we pray and I remember the day before the final. Normally we the players, we pray, we, uh, we, we sing. Some of them were crying 
and may so rest in peace. One of our colleagues, uh, Ni back. When we were praying, I don't know what came over him. He just stood up and said, thank you God, thank you God, we won one nil. And it happened like that. It happened like that. So we were laughing at him, especially Beno, our goalkeeper was laughing at him. This was before the final before then, the something. The, the, a day before the final. So our goalkeeper was laughing at him. What do, you, what, what do you think came over him? I don't know. I don't know. Nobody could just say it because I think we were, all of us were praying. And he just said, thank you, God. I think we win one nil. I think we win one nil. And after the game, we won one nil against Spain. And <laughs> we were just laughing at him again. And he was crying, even though we won the game. But he was crying. And after that crying, it became a joy to all of us. So I think, you know what? God speaking to us. But I think we have to also listen to what he says all the time to us. Do you think without you being a follower of Jesus Christ, you could have risen to that high in your career? There's so many people who are not believers, but they're still high. You know, but there's so many people who are believers. They are not still high. So God, that's like I said, God knows it's God choosing people. God said to Abraham, you're my friend. He said to Moses, you're my servant. He said to uh, David, you're son of my own heart. Who can give God advice? Who can dictate for God? Nobody. He does what pleases him. So I think people should realize that God know better than we do in every circumstances. So you should just rely on him. If you rely on him, he will do better things for you. Nobody was born dumb, but it comes out of the situation and circumstances. For some people to be a, a truck pusher, do you think that they like it? No. You go to hospital, you, you may think you are sick, but somebody's sickness is even bigger than yours. You may think you are poor, but somebody is poorer than you. You may think you are rich, but somebody is richer than you. You may think you are handsome or beautiful, but somebody is better than you. So it, it, all the fingers are not equal. We cannot get it all equal. God said in the, the, the book of life, there will be a master and there will be a slave. So that's how life is. We can have never be the same. God knows he's choosing one. So, you know, a lot of people will look at Dominic, and um, for especially the English fans, the one thing that comes to mind quickly is 1999, the UEFA Champions League final, <laughs> you know, um, with, with, with Manchester United. So, I mean, when you look back at that final, what do you remember? Well, uh, I think everything has its own time. It wasn't our day. It could be in the eyes of the people, but not in the eyes of the Lord. God knows, like I said, God knows better than we do. I was crying, I was hurt, but he didn't hesitate anything for me. Exactly two years after I had my hands on the trophy. So it tells you that there's a time and season. And if you know there's a time and season, you never make mistakes in life. Did you blame yourself for the defeat? I was. I was blaming myself because I'm a human. But after that, I go to my room, I pray and say, thank you God for giving me such a great game. Even the victory is not on my side, but I know there's time for me. So exactly two years, I had a, I had a trophy. So, you know, in life, you can never doubt God. Don't doubt him because he's the one who can turn things around. And he turns things around in every second. He said 10 years is one day for him. And one day is 1,000 years for him. So everything is possible with him. You once said on Super Sports that... Um you got a lot of money out of that, you know, um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> sad yeah, situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What's like that? You know, that's what I said. 
Nothing happened by accident. You know, a lot of uh, companies want me to do commercial for them because of that crime. You know, so I was doing advert for Jigamaster, I was doing advert for Johnny Walker, was doing for uh, Voost, and everything in Germany was a huge, was a lot of money that comes on my way. Yeah. But you know, nothing happened by accident. I'm, I'm, I'm sure afterwards you've seen the likes of Nicole Dwight York again. Yeah. I mean, they, they just mesmerized by Nicole on the day. Um, how good were they? No, they were strong. They were good, good partners, honestly. They understand each other very well. I met them before. We played in the Ultra 4. And I was there put them in my, in, in my pocket because I knew who I am. Because they also thought about me. They're scared of me. So for them to be in that particular moment with Scholes and Beckham, Giggs and Raikin, they have amazing attacking force. But you have to be alert every time because these two players were much dangerous. Well, that's former Ghana and Bayern Munich defender Samuel Osei-Kufour talking to Erasmus Kwao, uh, that interview taken from our archive. Well, in the final part of this interview next week, Kufour tells us how he dealt with a much bigger tragedy in his life, uh, the death of his daughter who drowned in a swimming pool at home. That's coming next week. That's it for the show for this week, though. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.